teaching of God's Word today. We hope that's going to be a blessing to you. If you've been with us for the past several weeks, we started this series through the book of First John. That's right. I heard some, someone say it. First John. We've been in it several weeks now, and now we're in chapter 2. We titled the theme of this series, For His Glory and For Our Benefit. And I am privileged and blessed to be able to give you something every week that both glorifies our great God's name and benefits you and benefits me as we hear from God's word. And today that's going to be the exact same thing. We'll find both in this text. Today's lesson is going to be called Right and Wrong Love. Right and Wrong Love. And we will, dis- we will discover what that is. We will explain what that is here in a little bit. Before we get to the text and look at 1 John chapter 2. Did you ever have to figure out what the right way was? Figure out, maybe you're bad at directions like I am and you had to sit down. Remember the old days you had to sit down with a map and kind of chart your course and then try to look at that map while you're driving? That was a very dangerous time. <laughs> Thankfully now we have GPS and she talks to us and tells us where to go. Did you ever have to figure out the right way to go? Well, I'm going to ha- ask for your help today. I'm going to give you 10 things and you're going to let me know, is this the right way or not? That's all you have to do. I'll give you 10 things and you respond by saying, yes, this is the right way or no, it's not the right way. Okay, you'll understand where we're going here in a little bit. Number one, is this the right way to wear socks with sandals? No. <laughs> it's almost summertime here in the North Country and it's the time that we break out our summer gear and some of you might be thinking socks and sandals. It's the way to go. Now, I heard a lot of no's. Was anybody yes on that? Is socks and sandals okay? Yes. Yes. We have one. Look at that. That's, I didn't even plan that. Good job, Bill. Socks and sandals. Most of you said no, though. I would say this. Here's the rules for socks and sandals. If you were alive during the Eisenhower administration, or if you're a millionaire, you can wear socks or sandals. I think everyone else is going to struggle, but... Bill, you couldn't have timed that perfectly. That was great. That was great. I'm with Bill on that one. Socks and sandals, why not? How about this one? Is this the right way to go? Cheating on your diet. I don't know if any of you have diets. I'm not going to assume that you do, but if you've ever been on a diet, is it okay? Is it right to cheat on your diet? It's kind of mixed. Some say no. Some say stay on the course, and others are saying it's okay. I would say the rule is this. If the dessert that you're about to eat ends in cake, and starts with cheese, <laughs> cheat on your diet because cheesecake is delicious. I would say there's exceptions to every rule, right? How about this one? Is it okay? Is it right to sneeze loudly? I'm asking for a friend. Uh, Janine has this little, when she sneezes, she has this little bird sneeze. It's a little quiet. She tries to stop it. It's very delicate and feminine. When I sneeze, I knock the roof off the place. And uh, is, it, is it right to sneeze loudly? Is that okay to sneeze loudly? Okay, I would say if you have more than six kids and you need to relieve some stress, go ahead and sneeze loudly. Again, I'm asking for a friend. Actually, the other day, I, I do sneeze very loudly. And uh, hopefully I never do it during a sermon because it'll scare you. But uh, I'll wake you up that way. It'll be a good thing. But the other, a couple times I've been in my office. And if you know, I, I live, you know, I work next to some very loud noises. The company right next door to us, you know, they work and they work with their hands. And sometimes they hear loud music and loud banging. A couple times I have actually sneezed them quiet. <laughs> I have sneezed so loud that right after that, it's silence. I don't think they know what's going on next door. <laughs> so they're wondering about our church. Um, how about this one? Is it right to have pineapple on pizza? Yes. Yes. Wow. See, now, you, some of you are going to be hypocrites because we've had many pizza nights here on Wednesday, and we've had pineapple on pizza, and I think it's okay. I think pineapple on pizza is the right way to go. In fact, I would say if you wear socks with sandals, you should also have pineapple on your pizza. Do you know a lot of people don't like pineapple on their pizza, though? A lot of people hate it. You hate it? Pineapple does not belong on pizza? Okay. To each its own. I say it's okay. I like it. How about this one? Is it right for men to wear pink one of the first Sundays I was here, I wore something that was in the pink department. It was fuchsia, something like that. And someone said, that's not North Country wear to wear pink. Except in the North Country. I would say this. It's okay for men to wear pink if they can bench over 200 pounds. That's right. Because no one's going to bother with them, right? Now, I have a purple tie on today. Is that okay? Can I wear purple? Thank you, guys. Thank you. So I, it's somewhere between purple and pink. That's how much I can bench. I'll figure, figure out how much of this is. What about this one? Is it right to consider taco salad to be a salad? Yes. 
Is taco salad a salad? Yeah. Yeah, most of us have right on. I would say if there's even one shred of lettuce, it's a salad. Absolutely. Put whatever you want on after that. How about this one? Is it right to borrow money from your mother? Do you hear that? Someone in the audience said no. Well, let me say this. I would say it's right if she asks you for technical help more than three times a week. Get your checkbook out, Mom. Oh, man. We're having fun here today. How about this one? Is it right to answer your cell phone during church? Ooh, that's a dicey one. The pastor's talking to you today. I, I, did I hear any yeses? Oh, what is it? If you're on call. See, here's my rule. The only way you should answer your cell phone during church is if the caller ID says, from heaven. Okay. <laughs> if it says, from heaven, you should pick it up and answer that because it could be important. Uh, how about this? Number nine. Is it right to blame your kids for the messes you make? Yes. Yes. Again, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. Sometimes Janine comes in and goes, what happened here? What happened to the floor? And I'm like, I think Thurman was here or something. I don't know. <laughs> I would say it's right if they're the reason you lost your hair. <laughs> because we call that even Steven. The last one is my most controversial. I almost didn't put this on, but I need to. Again, asking for a friend. <laughs> is it right to burp while you preach? <laughs> if you can't help it, I like that answer. If you have to, you have to. Now, you guys have never heard me burp during that preach, but I will say on a couple instances, just a small one has come out. And I would say this, if you need to burp while you preach or anything public, if, if you're a musician or anything like that, you need to mask it with a dramatic pause. <laughs> just act like it's part of the show and move on. And um, boy, oh boy, we had some fun here today. Right and wrong is kind of where we're going today. We're going to learn something that's right and wrong and to transition us. Is it right to love? Yes. Of course it's right to love as long as it's the right kind of love. Open your Bibles to 1 John. We're going to read 1 John. What have I encouraged you to do during our series? Read it every week. Good job. Has anyone done that? Yes. Okay, we have more hands than last week, more yeses than last week. I'm going to put it in nice capital letters with the exclamation point. It took me 16 minutes to read 1 John this week. It does not take a long time. It's five chapters. If you have the Bible app, you can program it to read to you, which is a good thing, too. Uh, I encourage you to read 1 John once a week. Many things will be revealed when you read that book. You'll see the themes. You'll, you'll notice the context. It's a very encouraging thing. So read 1 John if you're able to do that every single week. Let's read our passage together. Today is 1 John 2, verses 11 to 15. Follow along. John says, Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's our text today. Right or wrong love is where we're going today. And I've encouraged you to, while you study a book, it's always a good idea to keep it in context. Because we're reading an entire letter here. And that's why it's good to read the entire letter straight through so you can understand the context. And so one of the best ways to understand what John is about to tell us today is by remembering what he just told us. So we're actually including one of the verses from last week in our talk today, and we're actually hijacking, cherry-picking a verse from next week and including it in our passage today as well. And we're doing that so we can understand the context. So let's go back and take a look at last week's lesson, which was called Only Love Defeats the Darkness, and remember where John was bringing us to. In 1 John 2, verses 7 to 8, this is what he said. He said, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light 
is already shining. What was the commandment John was referring to? It's one word. Love. Love. He's going to remind us once again how important it is to love. But today he's going to remind us how important it is to love the proper way. Here's our outline today. If you have your sheets, if you have your notes, you can follow along this way. Our outline is pretty simple. We have three things we want to look at. Number one, John is going to warn us to beware the traps of wrong love. And we're going to look at two of them. And I know there's more than that. But we're going to look at two traps of wrong love and be, be cautioned to not step into those traps. Number two is we're going to look at encouragement to three categories of Christ followers. Because John does that right in the middle of the text. Encouragement to three categories of Christ followers. And finally, we're not going to leave us hanging. We're going to answer the question, what is proper love? Because we're going to look at wrong love. We're going to end on what the proper love is. So number one, let's look at this. Beware the traps of wrong love. Did you know there's wrong love? Did you know that? Typically, anything that there is good, there's also a forgery for that, right? If there's something good, you can also get a forgery, a cheap knockoff. And sadly, we live in a kind of world, a kind of culture that is going the wrong way. Does anyone remember Opposite Day in school? Growing up, we had this thing called Opposite Day once or twice a year where you could wear your clothes funky and all backwards and stuff like that. It was pretty fun. But sadly, even though this is kind of a funny picture, the world is going the wrong way. They're going opposite of the way that God has designed us to go. Now, that is not for us to gloat over them or feel prideful over them. That's just for us to know we should not follow the pattern of the world. Because they're going the wrong way. In fact, maybe they're going further and faster and more confidently the wrong way than they ever have before. They're very confidently going the wrong way, believing that it's right. But we're going to learn and be reminded today that that's the opposite direction that the Lord has marked out for us. And there is a wrong love. There is a wrong love out there, a love that is centered around me. And it's, it's age old. It's not brand new. This love has been around for generations of time and it's centered around me and it's it's sad because if you could tell in that first picture what has me in the in the um, magnifying glass look at what it says right around that others but me has been focused and I think that's a really good picture of the love that we have in our society today it's based on self-love self-glory it's based on loving the things of the world and John's going to warn us today that is not the proper love and we need to watch out for it we're going to look at two traps today, two traps that we need to watch out for. And uh, if you're ever walking around your house and you've set a mousetrap, be careful. Be careful about going into that garage. Be careful about going into the woods where possibly there are bears. There might be traps. In this world that we live and we function in and we walk in, there are traps that the enemy has laid out for us, even Christians, especially Christians. And we need to be warned that these traps are around and we need to be careful not to step into these traps. And I told you that anything good, there is a forgery for it. When I was younger, we went to New York City uh, just, to, just to see it and see the town and be tourists. Has anyone been to New York City, downtown Manhattan? Okay, you guys ever been walking downtown? Maybe it, doesn't, maybe it doesn't have to be New York City, but you're walking downtown and all of a sudden some guy will come out next to you and he's got a briefcase, something that he's selling. Well, one of these days that happened to me, I was walking down New York City with my family and some guy appeared out of the shadows and I never saw him. And all of a sudden he's got a briefcase and he whips it open like this. And he's showing me all these watches. And on the watches, they say Rolex. Yeah. He's selling Rolex watches. And I was like a 15, 16-year-old kid. And I'm like, wow, look at those watches. I had heard of Rolex. I knew it was a big deal. And he was trying to sell them to me for $10, $15. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what a bargain. I can't believe you're how nice you are to sell me a Rolex watch. So guess what I did as a 15, 16-year-old guy? I bought one. I wanted a Rolex watch. That's right. So I bought a Rolex watch. I didn't make a big... A deal about it, but I started wearing my Rolex watch and making sure my, my sleeve was up like this so I could show it off. And then I noticed it was turning my wrist green. And uh, I went to my parents and said, I don't think there's something's wrong with this Rolex watch. And my parents were like, well, I don't think it's spelled Rolex, Todd. I think you might have a forgery on your hands. It's sad, but there's forgeries in this world. And unfortunately, there is for love as well. There are love forgeries out there, and the devil would want nothing more than for us to have the wrong version of love, and that's why we need to be careful today. So let's look at our traps. These are our two traps today that we're going to be warned of. Number one, hating and fighting each other is never love. Did you know that? Hating and fighting each other, especially people of God, is never love. Now, you might be sitting there going, duh. That's obvious, Pastor. You don't need to tell us that. But sometimes we fall into this trap because... 
We like to justify the reasons that we have to hate, the reasons that we have to fight. In the name of self-justice, which we kind of talked about this past Wednesday, we can hate and fight those whom God loves because we're looking out for ourselves. or the name of self-preservation or the name of just self-care. And if you don't think that's happening today, look around our society because it is. People have to hate and hurt and fight in order to get what they want out of this world. And we need to be reminded today, and we will, that is never the way of God. If we have to hate in order to accomplish these things, then it is wrong and we walk in the darkness. And he's going to remind us of that. Trap number two is this, falling in love with the world is not God's will for our lives. And we will describe what he means by the world. But falling in love with the world is the wrong type of love. That is not what the Lord has for us. And John is going to state it as clearly as he can. And next week, we're going to dive into that topic even more. But here's trap number one. Fighting and hating those whom God loves. And it's sad. I've been around in Christian circles long enough and been in ministry long enough to see this happen time and time again. That in the name of truth, we hate. In the name of truth, we bicker. In the name of truth, we fight those who are our brothers and our sisters. And it's a very honorable thing because we're trying to stand for truth. But in an effort to stand for truth, we have to knock down someone that God loves. And John's going to remind us that is not the way of God. Jesus did not have to do it that way. Jesus did not have to fight and hurt and harm those whom God loves. Now, yes, he did have to speak truth. And we do have to speak the truth in love. But we are never to hate and hurt our brothers and sisters in Christ in an effort <laughs> to accomplish our goals. Listen to what John says in verse 11. Whoever hates his brother. Now he doesn't define what hate is, but he's, he's assuming that we all know what that looks like. We know what it looks like when we hate someone. He says, whoever hates his brother, notice the language, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. Regardless of our reasons for hatred, when we hate, we turn to the darkness. We turn away from God's light, away from God's law, away from following Jesus Christ, and we now enter the darkness, and we start walking in the darkness. And we should be warned today that that is a bad thing for all of us, for God, for our neighbor, and for us as well, to walk in the darkness and to hate our brother. That's never the will of God. This happens in the sports world. It happens all over our society where teammates fight each other. It's strange when adults fight, especially in the sports world, but it's even more strange when teammates fight one another, isn't it? When someone who's on the same team will start fighting those on their team. Because the ones on our team are not the enemy, are they? The people in this room are not our enemy. Who is our enemy? Satan. Use a different color here. Of course. We know it's the devil. The devil and his minions and his plan and his evil system, that is our enemy, but somehow he likes to turn the tables on us and get us to fight and bicker with one another because he knows if we implode by fighting each other, we will accomplish nothing. So he has to get us to channel and harness that righteous anger that we have and use it on one another. And it's very effective when he does that. And you can see it all over the society is when, when people who should love each other and stand with, with each other end up fighting each other. <laughs> Now, that's a very strange picture, isn't it? I kind of fell on that by accident. I just thought that's such a good picture because it's very strange what I'm seeing here. I should be seeing a sweet old lady, but she's holding a bat. And I don't know what's going on. Maybe some kind of road rage. I believe this is not a real picture, probably a staged picture, but it's a very strange picture. And why is it strange? Because that's not what you would expect from a sweet old lady. But what should you expect from the church? You should expect love and kindness, and compassion. And it should be weird, it should always be weird to us when the church begins to fight each other. It should never look normal, because it's not normal. And he wants to warn us today of that wrong love. Regardless of what we believe our reasons are, if we have to hurt and fight and harm those whom God gives his tender, fatherly, affectionate love to, we are walking in the darkness. And we have to be reminded of that today. That's never the way of God. 
And we're going to peek into John 3 a couple times today. That's the next chapter, of course. And in 1 John 3, John says it this way. He says, listen to this. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Man, that is severe sounding, isn't it? John just called us a murderer when we turn to hatred. A murderer. Let that sink in just for a moment. We would never consider ourselves to be so heinous and so badly off that we could actually take the life of someone here upon the earth. But John says, and Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll be reminded of that as well, that when we hate and when we're angry with our brother, it's the same as murder in the eyes of God. And John says, you have to understand that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. No one can walk on the path of murder and hatred and end up in heaven. Because it doesn't work. Now, someone can be a murderer and can turn around. Isn't that correct? They can repent. They can find Jesus. They can confess their sins. They can be cleansed and healed of their crimes. And they can find the mercy of God and turn around and start loving their neighbor. But no one can continue on the path of murder and hatred and find heaven because that's never the path of God. And if we're on that path and if we become on that path, we need to be warned today that that is not God's will for our life. It's never God's will. He says at the end of this verse, he who hates his brother does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Did you ever have no idea where you are? Maybe those who have been hiking and been in the woods, sometimes you get turned around and that happens and you go, where am I? How do I get back? Well, this is what we look like when we're walking in hatred. We're in the darkness. And our eyes are blinded, and, and we cannot understand where we're going. Now, we might not know this. It might seem very justifiable what we're doing and very right. But according to the Word of God, when we walk in hatred, we've entered the pitch darkness. We've entered the realm of the devil. And that is never the will of God. And he says you're blindfolded. It's like you're walking blindfolded. Have you ever walked in a pitch black room? Or a pitch black road? How does that go usually? It doesn't go very well, does it? You end up stubbing your toe or hitting your head because you have no idea where you're going. You think you can navigate properly without light, but we're wrong. And every single time we turn to hatred, he says it's like you're walking in the, bl in the blindfold. It's like you're walking in the darkness. Let's be reminded of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, I say to you that everyone who is angry, with his brother. Now, this isn't just to be male neutral or male gender, excuse me. This is to include all people, okay? When he says brother, he could be brother or sister. I say that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus, why such a severe line? Because he wants us to understand hatred is evil. It's wrong. It harms those whom God died for. And it's never the will of God. It is a forgery of love. And I want us to be reminded today that that's the wrong way and we need to look out for that trap because it's all around us. It is all around us. And you don't think that it is, but you walk in this life, you follow the pattern of the world and you will quickly find yourself angry and hating and fighting and bickering before you even know it unless you keep your eyes upon Jesus. Let's look at trap number two. We are moving fast because we kind of looked at trap number one last week. We're going to look at trap number two a little bit more next week. But trap number two is called love for the world. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. This is trap number two, loving the world. Notice what he says in verse 15, bumping along in our passage. He says, do not love the world. Did you ever think the word of God would say this phrase? Do not love. Isn't that strange to hear? Coming out of the word of God, do not love. Now, of course, he has to modify that. He has to explain what he means there. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Don't love them. You could be in the world. You have to be in the world. But don't love the world or its stuff. If you remember going back into the days of, of Moses, back in Exodus, when Moses actually went up to get the Ten Commandments, the tablets of the law of God, something very bizarre happened. The people convinced Aaron 
to fashion their gold into a, a golden calf. And while Moses is up on the mountain, they fashion this golden calf, this golden cow, and they start bowing down to it and giving it their honor and their worship and their praise. And what's ironic about that story is while Moses is getting the Ten Commandments, what does one of the commandments say? Do not make anything with your hands and bow down to it and worship it. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And when he sees us giving our affection and our love to someone else, he is jealous because he is the one who created us. He is the one who spent his son in order to save us. And God hates when we give our love to others. He owns us. He's our father. He's our God. And he deserves our chief love. And even jealousy. Jealousy is one of those things we think of always in a bad connotation. But when you actually belong to someone, it's okay if that person feels jealousy when you're giving your love to someone who doesn't deserve it. And God says, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God when you give your affection and your love to someone or something, even worse, that doesn't deserve our love. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, and he tells him that in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful and unholy. Does that describe our culture, you think? Lovers of the wrong things, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of stuff, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient, it does. And that's one thing for unbelievers and sinners to walk that way, but when children of God walk that way, it's very, very strange and very bizarre and very bad. And he reminds us, do not love the wrong things. In the second half of the verse, he says, if anyone loves the world, notice this phrase, the love of the Father is not in him. Let's draw a little hard here. I know my drawing is really bad. But let's say you give your love and your affection to the world. Guess who's not there? God. God deserves all of our hearts. In fact, that's the first and greatest commandment he ever gave us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your mind. And that's an amazing thing to understand that God deserves, he is the only one deserving of all our love. And when we love the world, we kick God out. God will not stay with a sliver of our heart. He either gets it all or we love someone else. Now we need to understand this today because this could sound quite confusing when God says don't love the world. Because doesn't it say in John 3.16, maybe the most famous verse of all time, for God so loved the world? Doesn't your Bible say it that way? For God so loved the world? How is it that God loves the world but he's commanding us to not love the world? Well, obviously, he has to mean something different than that because that would be a blatant contradiction of the word of God. When it says, for God so loved the world, who is he talking about? He's talking about the people that he created. He's talking about those whom he created and loved and gave his image to. He's talking about the people of the world. God so loved the people of the world that he gave his son. When he's telling us not to love the world, he's telling us not to love the world's system, the world's stuff. The world's pattern. And we need to be very clear there. We are supposed to love the people. In fact, we're going to circle back to that. That is the proper love of God. When we love those whom God loves. But when we love the system and the pattern and the stuff of the world, we've gone wrong. That is not how God has designed us. Why does God not want us to love the world? You ever ask that question? Why, God? Why? Why not? It's a beautiful world. It has beautiful things. There's beautiful things about this world that we have that are fun to experience. And why not? Why not give our love to the world? Well, one of the reasons is because only God deserves our love. And number two is because if we love the world, the world's going to break our heart. It's going to break our heart one day. And he does not want our heart to be broken. I don't know if you've ever had a broken heart. Has anyone ever had to break up with someone? It's a very messy business, isn't it? It's a very awkward thing to be broken up with. It doesn't feel good when someone says to you, I don't want to be around you anymore. That's a very difficult thing to go through. In fact, did you ever have to break up with someone? Think back to your dating days. I did a couple times. That did not go very well. I decided to look up some classic breakup lines. Um, look at that list. We need to talk. 
That's never going to go well. It's not you. It's me. Now, you're breaking up with me. Why? Well, it's me, actually. I'm the problem, and I can't stay with you because it's me. I'm just not ready for a relationship. That's a classic one. Here's another one. I just want to be friends. That's a lie. Really, what they're telling you is take a hike and get lost. Um, but they're softening the blow by saying, I just want to be friends. I just need a break. You deserve better. Oh, that was awesome. You deserve better. I'm looking out for your welfare, so I have to break up with you. Uh, here's another classical one. We're going too fast. Let's slow down by never seeing each other again. And I think we should go see other people for a while. And what they mean for a while is permanently... <laughs> Permanently see other people for a while. I don't know if you've ever had people use those phrases against you or if you had to use them with someone else. But it's a way to sort of soften the blow when you have to break up with someone. But what's going to happen with the world? According to 1 John, the very next passage we're going to look at, it says in 1 John 2, 17, the world is passing away along with its desires. Do you notice that? Why does God not want us loving the world? Because one day we're going to be devastated when the world passes away. When the world goes away, when it's rolled up like a scroll and God makes a new heaven and a new earth. And if all our joy is within this world that we live in, we are going to be devastated when our joy goes away with the earth. Now let me give you a very silly and dumb illustration. Um, from time to time, we will use paper plates in our household when we eat because we have a lot of kids and sometimes we're feeling lazy. So we pull out the paper plates and we let our kids eat on those paper plates. And this is a really dumb illustration. But generally, after my kids eat their paper plates, we give them the instruction to take their paper plate and throw it in the garbage because that's where it belongs because it's, it's disposable. Well, I want you to imagine if one of our kids got very attached to that plate while they're eating off it. And then my commandment to them was take that plate and throw it in the garbage, and they did so with tears because they loved that plate, and it was a very sad thing to have to get rid of that plate. Now, that's a very dumb illustration, but Jesus is telling us today don't love the world. It's disposable. It's sin-cursed. It's evil. And I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And I don't want you loving the earth that you live upon. Because A, your love is reserved only for God. And B, one day your heart will be broken. When everything that you love and everything that you cherish in this earth passes away. Do you know that? That everything you have should be held with a very loose grip. Because it's, er it's earthly, and it's temporal, and it's fleeting. And we're going to look at that more next week. So these are the two traps. Number one is hatred. Number two, we're going to just going to call world love. And they're out there, and they're, they're gaining traction. Hatred is all around our world, and so is the love of the world. And the Lord wants to remind us today that is the wrong love. Now, we're going to end on the proper love, thankfully. But before we get there... We're going to go to number two on our outline, encouragement to three categories of Christ followers. He's going to single out three different categories of people, and he's going to give them encouragement. And these are the terms he's going to use. And your, your Bible, your translation might call them a little bit differently, but in the English Standard Version, he uses the phrases little children, young men, and fathers. Now, could John be literal here when he's speaking? It's possible. It's possible he's talking to actual little children, actual young men, and actual fathers, but I don't think so. I think he's going deeper than that. I think he's referring to three categories of Christ followers, different age groups, different maturity levels. With little children, I believe when he says little children, he's writing to those who are new in the faith, new believers, people that don't know everything yet. They've just entered the faith, and he's going to say something to them that's going to encourage them. Young men, I believe that's people, again, not just men, but young men and women, people who are a little further along in the faith. They've been in it a little longer. They've seen some victory over evil. They're maturing. He's going to give them encouragement as well. And then he's going to give fathers and mothers and those who are seasoned in the faith, those who are nearing the end of their faith journey, who have intimate knowledge of God and his holy character. He's going to give them encouragement. And let's look at the first one. He says in verse 12, I am writing to you, there's the phrase, little children. And here's the reason I don't think he's speaking literal and actual, because he says this phrase, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Now, this doesn't mean that all children, of course, all children are not yet Christians and following Jesus Christ. I believe he's speaking to those who are new in the faith. Those who have either just been baptized, have just understood the gospel, have just given their lives to Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to be encouraged today. 
to love the proper way because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Think back, and maybe you don't have to think back that far to remember when that happened for you. When your sins were forgiven. When you couldn't believe that the sins that you have committed, that God could actually take those sins and cleanse those sins whiter than snow. But he did. He nailed them to the cross. Jesus paid for all those sins. And then he tells us, you are cleansed. You are healed. You are righteous in my eyes. It's a very shocking thing when that happens. And I remember the joy that welled up in my heart when I realized that I was forgiven. Full and final forgiveness in the eyes of God. And he says, for those who are new in the faith, for those who are little children, remember where it all started. Remember who is responsible for everything. Remember who is the author of your newfound life in God. Who is it, of course? It's our Lord Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. One of my favorite passages in the entire Word of God is 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Notice what it says. It says, The love of Christ controls us, or motivates us, or urges us, or compels us. The love of Christ that He has given us controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. Jesus died for everybody. Therefore, we all have died in the eyes of God. And He died for all, that those who live, that's us, those who are alive today, listen to this phrase, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's Christianity in the bottom line. You have received the love of God, the love of Christ, the love of Christ compels you and constrains you to lay your life down and say, Jesus, I'm now living for you. That's what this is all about. Thank you, Jesus. We just worshiped him. We just praised him for all he's done for us. And now we should be compelled and controlled to give him our life and say, take it and use it. It's for your glory. And I love that passage. And in a nutshell, John is saying to those who are new in the faith, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to the right or the left. Look at Jesus for the remainder of your faith journey. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Do you remember when Peter stepped out of the water? He saw Jesus walking in the water and he said, Jesus, I want to come to you. And Jesus said, come, Peter. And Peter got out of the boat, an enormous act of faith, and starts walking on the water to Jesus. And his eyes were fixed upon the one who gave him that power to do so. And then suddenly he looked to the storm, the right and the left, and he began to sink. And the Spirit is reminding us of who is responsible for our new life. Who is responsible for that forgiveness? Who is responsible for our ability to love our neighbor? It's Jesus Christ. And so he says to those who are new in the faith, keep your eyes on Jesus. New believers, if that is you today, or maybe you're not even a new believer yet. He says, love the one who gave you life. Remember the author of your life. Remember the author of your forgiveness and give him your love. He alone deserves it. Number two, he says, I am writing to you fathers. Again, I believe that's just people old in their faith have been in the race a long time. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Now think about that phrase. You know him who is from the beginning. I don't know if any of you know any famous people. Have you ever met a famous person or not? That's kind of a cool experience when you meet someone famous. But I want you to think about this phrase. He says, fathers, you know him, and I believe that's a very intimate knowledge, who is from the beginning. Now, one of the greatest things about dads and and grandpas and grandmas and moms is they love to tell stories of how it was back in the day, right? Stories that they've experienced that are rich and powerful and exciting. They love to tell their children and their grandchildren about all the great things they've been able to experience. And that's a good thing. And those who are far along in the faith, can be able to say this to those who are young in the faith. I know the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. I know him who was in the beginning. Not only do I know him, I've walked with him. Not only have I walked with him, I've seen him give me great victory. I've seen him there when I needed him the most. I've seen him protect me and provide for me and sustain me. I know him who is from the beginning. You cannot talk a long-term Christ follower out of Christianity. Do you know why? Because they know him. It's, it's similar if you went up, came up to me today and tried to convince me that my wife does not exist. 
I would scoff at you because I know her deeply and intimately. And that's the greatest thing about knowing God is we can know him intimately and deeply. And he says to those who are fathers, know him who is from the beginning. Keep your eyes on him whom you know. You guys ever seen this painting before? Some, where, where was this? We've seen this painting. Was it in our house or one of our grandparents' house? I remember seeing this painting as a young boy and just looking at it from time to time. And it just had, it was one of those things where it says a painting has a thousand words. I just remember that painting from when I was younger, just thinking about this old man. And I know it's a painting. I know, I don't know what exactly what is supposed to be meant by this painting. But it's, it's a really cool symbol of someone who was maybe far along in the faith, who was still sitting down to bless the Father for all that he's given to them. Do you guys have an example of that in your life? Is there anyone in your life who has set that example? Because I have two special men who have done that for me. Pastor Mark Clements, the man who is mainly responsible for me even being here today, was one of those kind of men, wasn't he? A man who walked in the narrow path up until the very last breath of his life. He knew the Father, knew him intimately, gave his life to Jesus Christ, and lived the bulk of his life as a true Christ follower. He kept his eyes on Jesus. The man on the right, you may not know, but I know him intimately. His name is Mel Walker, and he's my father. And he passed away a little while ago as well, and I lost two dear men in my life. But these two men have parallel tracks because they followed Jesus Christ so profoundly, gave their hearts to Jesus until their dying breath. They loved God, they knew God, they walked with God, and it was their very best privilege to tell other people about that journey as well. And he says, fathers, you know him who is from the beginning. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You're almost up the mountain. Keep going. Keep going. You're almost there. Keep your eyes on Jesus because it's almost over. Your journey's almost complete. Don't give up. Don't look to the right or the left. Keep your eyes on loving the one who gave you his life. And what a blessed thing it is that possibly we could be those people, that people can look to as an example and a legacy of those who love Jesus right until the end. So he says to long-term believers, keep loving the one who gave you life and keep loving him until the end. My dad used to use this phrase, going on for God. Going on for God over the long haul. And my dad loved God over the long haul. He gave his whole life to Jesus. And what a testimony and legacy that is for my life to keep loving the one who gave me life. He says, I am writing to you, young men, a middle-aged group, because you have overcome the evil one. It's interesting about young men. They don't know everything. But what do we do with our young men? Where do we send them? We send them to fight for us. Why? Are they the wisest people? No, they're not the wisest people. Guess what they have? Strength and energy and zeal and fight. And that's the greatest thing about young men. We could send them to war and fight for our country and defend our freedom because they are good at fighting. They're good at being soldiers. And he says to these young men, you've overcome the devil. You've seen victory in your life over the evil one. And you should be encouraged that God is giving you victory in your life. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the one who's giving you all the power to do so. And we've already learned this, and we're going to be reminded of this one more time, that in the end... God wins, and it's not going to be close. Now, the devil is a giant, isn't he? And right now, he seems, he seems huge. He seems massive. He seems beyond our ability to even conceive of getting a victory over. How can we get a victory over him? Well, this is how. God stands with us. The devil is big. The devil is scary. The devil has a lot of tools, but he's not God. Make no mistake about it. And he says to young men, you've seen victory in your life. Now keep going. Keep getting those victories. Keep plowing ahead because you will overcome the devil if you keep following him the right way. Maturing believers, those who have been in it a little while, who have seen victory, stay focused on the one who is your victory. He says in the end of verse 13, I write to you children because you know the Father. You know what's interesting about children? And again, I don't think he's talking to literal children. I think he's talking to those who are new in the faith. But you know what's interesting about children? They don't know much. They don't. If you were a little child, you didn't know much either. My kids don't know a lot about the world. They're innocent. They're pure. They have young minds. 
They're developing still. But one thing is clear about young children. What do they know? They know their father. I'm so blessed that my children, even though there's eight of them, (laughs) all get to know me on a very personal level. That's very special for a dad. That they may not know anything about the world, but one thing is clear. They know to run to daddy if there's trouble. They know they can come to daddy with their troubles. They know they can sit on my lap. They know that I'm a comfort and a strength to them. They don't know anything, but they know to stay near their dad and their mom. Isn't that a beautiful, tender illustration of what he's saying? You know the father. You know the father. God loves you more in a moment than anyone could in a lifetime. I don't know who said that, but that's a beautiful phrase, and it's true. Stay near the one who loves you. You don't have to know a lot in the Christian life. What you need to know is where is the strength? Where is the protection? Where is the love? And where should I stay? And over and over, the Lord Jesus Christ instructs us to pray to God, the holy God of the universe, this way. Our Father who art in heaven. That is an amazing phrase that I get to call him my Father. Not just a God who I've I've come on good terms with and has forgiven my sins, but I get to call him my dad, my father. I get to go to him in trouble. He protects me. He watches over me. He provides for me in the most tender way imaginable. 1 John 3, I told you we peek into this passage a little bit. He says, how great is the love of the Father that has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Do you know him today? Do you know the Father? Do you know God? Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know him intimately? Do you walk with him? Does he take care of you? Does he watch over you? If so, and you're a new believer, continue to know your Father. Continue to stay near him. Continue to love him. Continue to focus upon him. Your Father. Stay very near your Father. He is the one who loves you more than anyone ever could. In verse 14, he says, I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. He says it one more time. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. It's another cool picture I found online. Uh, And I think this is a real picture. I think this is a real picture of 10 or 11 guys sitting on a, a metal steel beam, probably putting a building up way up in the sky that looks to be New York City because that's Central Park, right? And uh, did any of them look scared? Any of them look like they're worrying? Anybody look like they're nervous about being up there? They're not. And my guess is because they've been up here before. And what, what, what are they confident about? That steel beam is tested. And tried and strong, and it's never given way. It never could give way. That's how it's designed. Have you understood it about your God that He can't give way? You could put your entire life upon Him, your entire hope upon Him, your entire dependency upon Him, and He will never give way. And that's a shocking thing when the world looks at us giving our entire dependency to someone because that seems foolish and dangerous to do so. But for those who have tested that God, they said, No, this is the safest place to be in the center of my God's will because he cannot give way and he never will give way. Paul wrote this to Timothy. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for I know who I have believed. I know him. I've tested him. He's been with me in the thick and thin of life. I can depend upon my God in every single trial of life. And you know what John's trying to do by telling us all of these things? He's trying to set our focus upon the right one. Not the wrong love of the world. Not the wrong path of the world. But continue to stand upon the one who was able to support you and win the battle for you. Once again, he has a name and his name is Jesus. Follow his pattern. Don't follow the world's pattern. Don't just believe that once you hear the word love, it has to be God's will because there is a wrong love out there. But before we close today, we're going to look at what is the proper love. And we've talked about it already. God loves the world. He loves the people. Let's take another look at 1 John. 1 John 3, it says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. This is an ancient, old commandment that we should love one another. Love one another. Not hating each other, not fighting each other, not loving the world. This is the message you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Do you notice the difference between hating and fighting our brothers and walking in the darkness? 
laying down our lives for the brothers, looking for the needs, seeing the needs, and meeting those needs by God's grace, because that is the proper love. John 3.16, once again, For God so loved the world that he gave us his Son. How did God love? He sacrificed. How did God love? He gave his best prized possession, his own son, to his people who needed him the most. That is the proper love. When we sacrifice, when we love those whom God loves, that is the proper model. And we have a hurting world out there, do we not? They say depression and anxiety and suicide is on the rise. It's the highest maybe it's ever been. They're hurting people all around us. What do they need? Judgment? Cruelty? They have enough of that. In 1 Corinthians 13 that we read at the beginning, it says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not conceited. What do those need in this world and in this church? They need that. And when we give this to those whom God loves, we have the proper love. We are walking on the right path. That's exactly the way Jesus went, and that's the, exactly the way he taught us. Now, it's costly to give that love. It takes a lot. The world's kind of love it doesn't. It's cheap. It's easy. You can do it without even thinking. But that kind of love requires something of you. It requires sacrifice and time and commitment and thought and prayer to give out that kind of love. But when we give out that kind of love, we are most like Jesus Christ. My technology has died. It's not going forward. Too many slides, it says. You need to finish. I was going to give the application. But our application is very simple. Follow Jesus. I mean, if I could boil down the three applications into one, it would be go the pattern the way your Lord went. And you notice the things are coming together. God's glory and our benefit. How is God glorified? When we love the way that he loved us. How are we benefited? When we love the way that he loved us. We stay on the proper path. He gets what he invested in, and his people are blessed and benefited, all because we get on the proper path of love. And in that way, we learn the proper love, the best love, and it's to follow our captain, our Lord Jesus. And I pray you'd be encouraged to do that today, because there's a hurting world out there. There's hurting people in this church, and they desperately need the pattern of Jesus. Let's bow and pray and give this over to the Lord. Father, there's so much more to be said about this, but I'm so grateful that I can call you Father. I'm so grateful that you love me. I'm so grateful that you love the people in this room. Help us to remember we're teammates. We're brothers and sisters. We're not enemies. The enemy is outside these doors, Father. He's not here. He's not here because you're here. Father, help us to remember that we're together and that we need each other and we should love each other. And there is a proper love and there's also a wrong love out there. Father, keep our eyes upon Jesus so that we can love the way that you've designed us, so that we can benefit your great name, we can benefit your people, and we can even benefit ourselves by simply keeping our eyes on the pattern Jesus gave us, the proper love of God. We're so grateful for this love. We're so grateful for this church. Guide us the right way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.